Hello, this is Dan Bender, executive producer of the Singles Podcasting Network. Today, I'm excited to present Single Living, a podcast that brings you straight talk on everything that concerns today's singles, including relationships, dating, travel, and financial security. Single Living is hosted by Rich Goss, a well-respected expert in the singles industry. He is the author of eight books on dating and has lectured on the subject in over 50 colleges and universities. Rich is frequently interviewed by the news media, including Oprah, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. And now, here's the host of Single Living, Rich Goss. My guest today is Jillian Strauss, author of Unhooked Generation. Jillian spent eight years producing programs for The Oprah Winfrey Show, where she interviewed hundreds of men and women about their lives and their relationships. Prior to that, she worked for ABC News. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you so much. What is The Unhooked Generation? The Unhooked Generation is um, people who are in their 20s and 30s who are having unprecedented difficulty finding love in today's modern world. These are people who are generally young professionals, educated, they have active social lives, they date, you know, some of them may be in relationships but not fully committed, some of them may be divorced, so it's people who haven't been able to sustain their relationships long term. And why are people in their 20s and 30s having a harder time today finding love than in previous generations? Well, our generation faces a host of challenges that our parents really never had to deal with in the search for love. I mean, we're living in a multiple-choice culture where we are constantly told that having more choice is better. So just as we are looking at all our career opportunities and opportunities for our lives, we're always thinking, you know, maybe there's a better choice out there. So it makes it very difficult. It's just like you go onto an internet site, you might fill out a profile and you might start dating someone, but then you sort of go back online thinking maybe there's a someone better out there for right. me because we do have so many choices. We're always trying to upgrade the way we upgrade our, our technology, our cell phones and our computers. We're trying to, trying to upgrade our mates as well. So the grass is always greener on the other side. Absolutely. And the more choices you have, the greater the likelihood you end up with nobody. Yes. I mean, we not only have this, live in this multiple choice culture, we live in a culture that so values independence, you know, as a post-feminist culture, women, you know, men and women, we really don't put a lot of stock in the old values that marriage brought to us, the idea of companionship and security and stability. Those things don't matter too much to people of this generation. They're used to being independent, doing what they want which also makes us less willing to compromise. And we also sort of have a, what I call in the book, a why suffer mentality. You know, we are encouraged when we're in pain to take a Prozac and and not have too much angst in our lives. And I think when relationships get tough, we sometimes, we don't have the patience and the, you know, the energy to want to work it out. We think, oh, you know, maybe it's time to move on. 
Right. Well, it's just interesting. You know, I throw singles parties for a living. I do 150 parties a year for singles. And, you know, some of my parties are humongous crowds, you know, hundreds or even a thousand people. And and other parties are intimate with, you know, maybe a few dozen people. And, of course, everybody loves the big crowd. Everybody wants hundreds of people to choose from. But the irony that I tell people is you're actually going to meet fewer people at a giant party than you will in a small party. Exactly. So we are sort of encouraged. It's like when you go into a grocery store and you want to get a you know a tube of toothpaste. It used to be it was Crest or Colgate. Now right. it's Tartar Control, Plaque Control with right. the breath strips. There's so many choices. So we really are encouraged to look very wide for our partners. Scour the earth, <laughs> find them if they live in a different city, a different country. Right. You know, check out all your options is a familiar phrase to Gen Xers. Yes. Instead of just getting to know one or two people and really go deep with that one person. Right. Well, I know at my parties, if you go to a small party and there's 20 people in the room, I guarantee you'll probably meet all 20 people that night. You go to a party with a 1,000 people, most people walk in and they're like the deer in the headlights. You know, they're just completely baffled. There's just too many choices, too many people. It's just overwhelming and it's intimidating. And they wind up meeting two or three people in the evening. But, Absolutely. But, but you can't argue with people, Jill. You know, they, they always want to come to the big parties. They don't want to come to the little parties because they think, oh, gee, if there's only 20 people in the room, what are the odds that the person I'm looking for to spend the rest of my life is going to be there? Yes. But, but they just don't realize you're really better off meeting people one at a time or in small groups and taking your time. But nobody has any patience in today's automatic uh, uh, culture where everything happens for you immediately. And if you, know, if you don't like the TV show you're watching, you, know, you click through 300 other channels until you Absolutely. find the right one. And I think it's just kind of sad because so many people, as you know, Jillian, are really going through life without really intimate relationships. They're really pretty much alone. They leave the, the, the lovely family that they're from, hopefully a lovely family, in the cocoon of love with their parents and their siblings and relatives. They go out into the cruel business world and you know maybe they make a lot of money, but they're not succeeding emotionally. They're not getting their intimacy needs met. Yes, very true. Now, why is, is your book, would you say it's more of a self-help book or more just an interesting read? Well, I think I've been told it's more of an interesting read because what I decided to do was I interviewed 100 single men and women across the country, and I really just tell their stories, and I think they have some pretty juicy (laughs) stories. They were very candid about their love lives and their breakups and their sex lives, and so what it really is, is it, it is a collection of these stories, but sort of there's a bigger framework to it and I talk about these people as archetypes of what's going on out there, what's this trend all about and I think that readers will relate to these characters and they'll laugh when they read the stories of these characters. But then at the you know, throughout the book and then definitely at the end of the book, I really try to say, okay, so here's the story of this guy who went on the internet and he dated a hundred women and he slept with half of them. And here's the story of a woman who was very comfortable being intimate with people physically, but not comfortable in relationships. And so now what do we do about this? So I really do try to give some concrete solutions to this problem of singlelessness and what do we do and how do we meet someone and how do we make it last so you will walk away with some concrete solutions and things you can do differently well let's get concrete right now Jillian how do singles meet in today's world well I think what's so funny is people always ask me 
when I was traveling for the book and at book signings, where do I meet someone? How do I meet somebody? So the emphasis is really on, you know, where can I go? Where do I physically have to be? And there's really no emphasis on how you have to be there. Uh, You know, you can certainly be the greatest singles event, you know, there is with tons of potential partners. But if your mind isn't open, if you go there with a checklist of expectations that that person has to meet, or you think, you know, I'll date them, I'll give it a couple dates. And if they don't instantly, if I don't instantly fall in love with them, I'm going to move on. You're never really going to meet that person. So you don't believe in the checklist, Jillian? No, I really, I really have to say I was someone, no one had a longer checklist than I did. I really <laughs> was someone who had a lot of preconceived expectations of what I was looking for in a mate. And I actually, when I started writing this book and started interviewing people, I saw how ridiculous some of the people sounded. I interviewed one man who told me he had a checklist of 25 things he was looking for in a mate. And that's not atypical, by the way. You know, I've taught classes on this. Yeah, I've taught classes on this at at 61 colleges around the United States. And one of the things I would have people do at the very beginning is to write down their list. And you'd be amazed how long these lists can be. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I finally talked to these people and I noticed, well, of course this guy doesn't have anyone. He's looking for 25 things. And (laughs) some of these things are so specific and so superficial and so contradictory. And that's when I said to myself, it's time to look at my own checklist. And so it was when I finally started to open my mind and say, you know what, I'm going to go out. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to go out with an open mind, going to get to know someone that I actually met someone and I did fall in love. And this person really surpassed these things that were on my checklist. Right. One thing for me was like, I'm not really into sports and, right. you know, I didn't want to be with a real a jock and a real athletic guy. Well, the person yeah. that, that I'm with now that I'm engaged to, he, he never would have met that, you know, my type, so to speak. Exactly. And he really has all the values, you know, really wonderful values of the things that I really was looking for. A few years ago, I might have said, oh, you know, I don't want to, we won't have this in common. He'll want to play beach volleyball. I won't want to do that. And, you know, those things can really be worked out. So if you have a checklist, it really should be based on values and not hobbies and other kinds of interests and really specific things because you can work around those things as long as you have the same values. So you're going to marry a jock. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, the advantage, of course, of marrying a jock is hopefully he's very healthy. He won't die on you like most husbands do. You, <laughs> pro- you probably have seen the statistics that two out of every three married women become widows if they don't get divorced first because they outlive their husbands. So you're, hopefully you're going to be marrying a guy who's going to be around for a while, and, and hopefully he's got that jock's body that uh, so many women, <laughs> of course, would like to be with. I mean, you know, who wants to be with somebody who's uh, flabby and out of shape? Yes. Well, the most important thing is she's just a wonderful person, but those are things I wasn't looking so much for that. I was looking for, oh, do we have a common interest and how's he going to work into my life and I'm going to be able to continue doing the things that I want to do with him. And, you know, we compromise because we love each other. and we. Well, well, there's the word now, compromise. What what a foreign word to the unhooked generation that they actually have to compromise, right? Well, that's definitely, I think that... You know, we're used to getting everything we want. It's like we go into Starbucks and we order a cup of coffee with, you know, 10 stipulations about what decaf, skim, latte, venti, extra hot, you know, all these things. And, you know, you can't really order someone to your specifications. And we tend to look at, (laughs) no, we can't. And we tend to look at compromise as settling. 
And I just, one thing I can't stress enough is that compromise is not settling at all. It really isn't. I like that distinction. And, and of course, it's a very difficult concept to teach. And in the classes I teach on this, I have them start out with their wish list, which is, you know, the 25, 30, 40 things they want. And then after they do all that, I ask them to just cut the list in half, just rip it up. And then I have them start on a second list. And I call this the non-negotiable list. It hopefully is a very short list, but it's all the things that have to be there in a romantic partner. Otherwise, you'll never be happy in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and getting people to discipline themselves so that they can give up their fantasy, give up that wish list. And instead, and this is also important, getting them to stick to the non-negotiable list. Because I say everything on the non-negotiable list is exactly that, non-negotiable. So if you come across a wonderful person who's physically beautiful and fun to be with and you know has all the great things you want and earns a good living and on and on and on, great conversationalist and all that, great sense of humor but if they're missing even one item on your non-negotiable list you've got to move on because if there's a fatal flaw you know like you know the guy drinks too much or you know she cheats on her spouse or whatever if there's a fatal flaw there no matter how wonderful they may be in every other department you're not going to be happy with them if you're missing something critical on your non-negotiable list yes so, so you, you want to compromise, like you say, but you don't want to settle. You don't want to settle for somebody no. who's missing something critical on your list. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, one distinction I want to make is I am very big on having chemistry. I'm not saying that you should be with someone you don't have chemistry with, but sometimes you don't know that you have chemistry with someone because you don't give them a chance. They may not be six foot two blonde hair with blue eyes. They may not be the exact picture that you think, but you certainly can have chemistry with someone that doesn't meet that criteria. I'm not saying that you should, oh, settle for someone that you're just not, you know, excited about. Well, exactly. I mean, there has to be a a middle ground here. You want to be with someone you find attractive, but they don't have to be your fantasy person that you've been thinking about for your entire life. They don't have to be a movie star. They don't have a certain picture. Exactly. You know, I think you have to have the chemistry, you have to have the love, you have to have all those things, but the package may not be exactly the way you envisioned it physically and otherwise. Now, where did you meet your fiancé? In a restaurant. Uh-huh. And, and how'd you that's do it? another point. Well, he was sitting next to me at the next table, and he uh-huh. sort of started talking to my friend and I. And, you know, before we knew it, we were having a great conversation. And it's so funny because everyone asked me, where do I go to meet somebody? Or there's right. no one in New York, or there's nobody <laughs> in Chicago. And, you know, people are trying to put themselves in these singles environments. But, you know, if you have an open mind and the right attitude, you can meet someone anywhere. I mean, exactly. a, a restaurant who I thought went to dinner with my girlfriend one night, and, and, you know, I certainly wasn't looking to meet someone. I wasn't out searching, and right. then there he was. So I think it's more about the way you go out and the and the way you go on a date. I had, I had you know, been dating for 15 years and went on tons of dates, and nobody, this one was too into basketball, this one was too short, this one was this, and, you know, I never really occurred to me that it was me that needed to change (laughs) and not these guys. Oh, no, not me. I'm not the problem. 
Exactly. And once I sort of dated differently, that's exactly when I found this this special person. So, well, 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 I think you're an inspiration to all the women that are listening right now because I believe you're in New York City, and you may or may not have seen the statistic that New York City is probably the worst city in America to find a husband only because there are 700,000 surplus single women in New York City. Right. So, so the odds but are you tougher. Know what? I, I always don't, I really don't like those statistics because the bottom line is it really just takes one. Exactly. You know, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, people will come to one of my parties if it's a small crowd, and they'll say, well, how many people are in there? And I say, well, how many do you need? And they always say, well, just really one if they're the right one. And, and that's exactly. the point. E- even in New York City, where obviously there's a tremendous shortage of bachelors, the fact of the matter is there have got to be at least a few hundred thousand single men in New York City right now. So if you can't find one, it's not because he's not there. It's because you're not working hard enough uh, at it. Absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned restaurants is one way to meet people. Um, you know, I've, I'm always shocked when I hear these restaurant stories because it really is kind of rare. You know, it's hard to meet people in restaurants. People really don't talk to people at other tables like you did you know that's i think kind of an unusual story i tell people if you go to a restaurant especially if you go to a, to a let's say a denny's for example sit at the counter because if you sit at the counter it's real easy to talk to people that are sitting next to you at the counter whereas if you sit at some table way off in, in a far far corner of the room the odds are you will not meet anybody but but it's interesting that you can find love in a restaurant of course the same is true for standing in line at the post office or the supermarket really you can meet people in your daily life of course the mm-hmm. secret is a you have to be out of the house and a lot of people literally you know stay home seven nights a week and never meet anybody because all they do is work and then they go home so you got to get out of the house if you want to meet people and then secondly you have to be open to the possibility of meeting somebody like you were open to meeting your fiance while you were having yeah. dinner with a friend absolutely and uh, any other places you can think of for singles meeting what do you think of speed dating for example I mean, I'm not a big advocate of speed dating. I think that it really takes time to fall in love. I can't tell you how many happy couples I know said that they fell in love on the fifth date or they fell in love on the tenth date. And speed dating really relies on those snap, superficial, checklist kind of judgments. Yeah. So I really don't think that you can open your mind and open your heart in a five-minute date and that right. someone can really come through. I mean, we, you know, my fiance and I, we were dating for a long time before we really got to know each other and our values. And you just don't know that on a first date. So, you know, I definitely would say that you need a little bit more time. And nobody, that's, that's another thing that's so different today. We're living in such a chaotic time and everyone's so overscheduled and all their time is on the computer and email and BlackBerry that we don't really want to take the time to get to know someone. We think we can sort of, you know, love is going to come in a FedEx package or a (laughs) quick email. And it really just, it doesn't happen that way. So that's definitely one of the lessons of my book is, you know, you need to take time to fall in love. You know, you need to just let it happen. Okay. It's not going to, you know, happen as quickly as maybe everything else you, you expect. Can you give us a juicy story from Unhooked Generation? Oh, absolutely. One of the people that I interviewed, he was in his late 20s, and he sort of was bragging. The minute I I sat down to interview him, he was telling me about his sexual escapades. He was telling me about how he had an an orgy in Las Vegas, and he met a porn star, and he had his fantasies lived out with her, and he really liked to brag about his sex life. And Surprisingly enough, I checked out these stories, and they really did pan out that he had had these experiences. And 
he was all about sex and, and, you know, when I followed up with him about a year later, he said that he had a girlfriend now. Wow. And he was really quite ashamed of his past because they would go out and everywhere he would, you know, meet somebody and anytime he would run into somebody from yeah. his past right. and he was so embarrassed and it was really causing a problem in his relationship. And he said that, you know, he really, all those escapades were really, you know, he really was looking for something deeper and to, and to fall in love. And he sort of echoed the sentiments of a lot of men that I talked to. You know, as women, we think that, you know, we're the only ones that want relationships right. and really want casual sex. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that so many men were dating women and they said, you know, I want to wait to be intimate. I want to wait for that experience. I want to really get to know you. I've had the casual sex. I've been there. I've done that. I want a relationship. And I think that's good news for women. Mm-hmm. So, so you're telling me these makeout artists can be good husband material? Well, that's the funny thing. Before I wrote the book, I thought, okay, there's really these two camps of men, right? Right. There's there's the player, right. the dog, the guy who's really out there just to, to rack up the numbers. And there is, you know, the good guy, the relationship guy. And what I, right. what I really discovered was that, you know, most men have a little bit of both of those personalities right. all wrapped up into one. So they, maybe they were younger and they wanted the casual sex. And then when they were older, they wanted a more mature relationship. So, you know, don't be so judgmental and stereotypical and, uh, Someone might surprise you. Well, let's be stereotypical for a moment. What about the nice guy, the stereotypical nice guy? Is this guy boring, or or can this guy be a fun guy to be with? I think that when women are dating, the last thing they look for is nice. Right. You know, it's kind of ironic because that's, you know, probably one of the most important, if not the most important thing you would want in a long-term partner or a husband. Yeah, well, I mean, who would want to spend the rest of their lives with somebody who isn't a nice person? I mean, it would be crazy. Right. And, and, and yet our, our, the pheromones or hormones or whatever it is that dictates our choices, that tend, we tend to be attracted to people that are exciting but really are not going to be a whole lot of fun yeah. to be with for the next 50 years. Well, we, t- we tend to, um, if we don't think we have the guy and he's kind of elusive and he's kind of flaky, we yeah. tend to equate that with, uh, you know, well, we have this passion. No, it's, it's not really passion. It's, um, you know, the, the angst of whether or not he's going to call you or not, you know. It, it definitely creates excitement to be with one of these bad boy types, but it really doesn't yes. lead to a lot of happiness. Yes, exactly. But but how do we convince women of the, about this, that the shy guys make the best husbands, and, and the guys who are faithful and true and nice and dependable, those are the good husbands? But I the, don't think they're mutually exclusive, for example. Okay. Sure. I mean, that's sort of what I learned is, you know, I would definitely say that uh, my fiancé is, is a very, very, it's funny because the, the one thing everyone says when they meet him is he is such a nice guy, but he's mm-hmm. also really outgoing and he's fun and he's exciting mm-hmm. and he's, he's got lots of interests. And so I, I think that we really need to get that as women, we would not like to be judged as the, uh, the Madonna whore, yes. you know, complex, whether it's just one or the other. I think that men can be both. That, 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 that is an interesting analogy you're making, that, that women can be both and men can be both. And, you know, and we do tend to stereotype people and try to put them into this you know, square peg in a round hole or whatever. We, we, we try to force people into these stereotypes that really are not totally fair. Yes. What compelled you to write your book, Unhooked Generation? 
Well, I was single, and I had a lot of single friends, and we were all sort of facing this, you know, why is it so hard, asking this question, why is it so hard today, why can't I meet anybody? Right. Um, and so I decided I would try to get to the bottom of that question, and I was going to interview these hundred single people to do it. And it worked. And, and it worked. And, and how did the book impact your own love life? What are you doing absolutely differently? absolutely did, because... Okay. I, you know, I don't know that I would end up with this person had I had I met him a few years earlier. I don't know that I would have been ready to surrender my checklist and, you know, be pleasantly surprised. I don't know that I would have given it time. Like I said, we, a uh, couple months into dating, you know, he had his checklist. I certainly didn't meet everything on his checklist. He wanted someone who was a little more domestic, and I'm the furthest thing from, and you know, perhaps a little more traditional. And, you know, he always says to me, I didn't get exactly what I was looking for, but I found someone, you know, that's so much so much more than I ever thought I would end up with, which is, of course, a very nice compliment. But the point of it is, is that we had chemistry from the beginning, but, you know, we kept going on dates, we kept getting to know each other, and all the reasons that we're with one another are not things we would have noticed in the first three, four, five dates. They were things that we got to know over months. So I really would say that I learned that I had to give it time, and that's one of the biggest lessons I would say to other people. You interviewed a lot of guys for the book, and you got them to open up. So tell us right now, what are men really looking for in relationships? I think that men are really looking for, most men are looking for a partner today someone to, you know, shares life's joys and life's worries, but they don't want as much of the burden as they used to have, but they still want to feel like the man. They still want to feel, you know, they don't want to feel emasculated. They do want to feel like they, you know, they want to feel like they're with someone that lets them be the man. So how do some women emasculate these men? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, one thing that was really interesting was that the men would talk about how they wanted, you know, a modern woman, and they would, you know, talk about they wanted someone to share the financial burdens, but they would also say, but, oh, you know, I don't want to be with someone who makes more money than me. So I think it's a very, very delicate balance. Well, well they did actually, a, they did a study on this about uh, men who marry women who earn more money than they do, and they found out that it doubles the divorce rate. Mm-hmm. So I it really is that. really is tough for men. Men tend to be very vulnerable ego wise if they're with a high powered woman. So those are tough yeah. relationships. When a, when a man meets a woman who's uh, really got her act together and is very successful in the world, it can be very intimidating to a lot of men. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about availability of your book. Uh, is it out on the bookstores, or how can they get a hold of the book? And how can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, you can go to barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com. You can also go to, you know, Barnes and Noble or any major bookstore. Right. Uh, my website is unhookedgeneration.com. I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. And I'd like to thank my guest, Jillian Strauss. Single Living is a production of the Singles Podcasting Network in San Rafael, California. If you have any comments or suggestions about single living, feel free to email us at comments at singlespodcastingnetwork.com. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, this is your host, Rich Goss. Rich Goss.